0: Well, I'm really excited this morning because we are beginning a series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, where we're acknowledging the reality that we can never become spiritually mature while still remaining emotionally immature. God's heart for each of us is that we would grow and develop into maturity, that we would become more free, that we'd be at peace with ourselves, that we'd become more of the people that he created us to be and experience the fullness of life that he longs for us but emotional health and development is a key part to that. This series is based on a book of the same name written by a pastor called Peter Scazzaro who is based in the Queens area of New York City in America and this book or this course really came from Pete's story of Discovering the importance of emotional health and its link with uh, spirituality. So, part of what we'll do in this series is follow Pete's story and it will resonate with our own. You may wish to get the book as we go through this series. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. Uh, you can get it on Amazon or all good Christian book st- shops. And this is a subject that is close to my heart. I'm really excited for what God's going to do through this series in me and in all of us together as we explore emotional health. I'm passionate because this subject has been transformational for me in uh, my own life. And through the series, I'm going to share a little bit more of the difference that it's made for me. Um, and the sense of holistic development and taking hold of that abundant life that Jesus has for us um, and the impact um, it's had on me personally. I think um, also it's right at the heart of Jesus's desire for us. If we um, imagine um, a washing line and... on the washing line are different parts of our lives. So we've got our intellectual lives, but we've also got our physical part of ourselves. We've got spiritual, we've got emotional, we've got our social lives. There's different parts of us that make up who we are. And Jesus is concerned for our whole selves. And just like on a washing line, if one um, piece of clothing is down, then it pulls everything else down with it. The same is true, With these these parts of our lives, they are all interconnected, and Jesus' heart for us is that we would find healing and wholeness and fullness, uh, not just in a compartment of our lives that we sometimes call spiritual, but in every area of our lives. In Luke nineteen verse ten, Jesus says, "The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost." And the word there for saved is the Greek word sozo. And it means salvation, but not simply in a sense of being saved from death or danger, like you might save someone from a storm. But it also means being healed. It also means being restored. There's a kind of holistic sense to what Jesus has come to do for each one of us. And sometimes within our spiritual journey, that can be ignored. And that's why we're focusing in on this area in this series. So today, I simply want to give an intro into emotionally healthy spirituality and share how we can begin to allow God into that section of our lives we might call our emotional lives. In this series, we're going to be looking at subjects like breaking the power of the past letting go of power and control, surrendering to our limits, embracing Sabbath rest, learning new skills to love well and developing rhythms of life that enable spiritual and emotional health. The first thing that I want to say is that it's easy to ignore our emotional lives with the demands and pressures that we all go through. Perhaps it's something that we haven't even thought about but the consequences of ignoring this area of our lives can be disastrous. Now, one example comes from Peter Scazzaro's own story. Uh, he grew up in a, uh, what he would describe as a dysfunctional family um, setting. Uh, who didn't? Um, but uh, he's he says his family upbringing was particularly difficult. And so uh, he escapes from that. He, he grew up in Italian American um, family in um, uh, America. And he escapes into evangelical American Christianity, really. Um, he became a Christian in his late teens at a, a gig and he gave his life to Jesus. And uh, on doing that, he, dived into serving in his local church in different ways. Uh, when he went to un- university, became part of the Christian Union or the American equivalent. Uh, after university, he got stuck into working f- uh, with students and doing Christian student work. Uh, he spent a year abroad learning Spanish so he could share his faith with the Spanish community in Queens in New York. He went to Bible college and learned about uh, church leadership and theology. After going to Bible college, he then plants a church. And after years of leading this church or church plant, it grows and becomes fruitful and what we would describe as successful. And then decades after first becoming a Christian, a pivotal moment comes when his wife turns around and says to him that she's going to leave him, that she's going to leave the church because she thinks he's a lousy leader uh, and doesn't have um, the ability to manage conflict well. And obviously this all came came as a massive shock to the system for Pastor Pete. Uh, The reason why his wife said, uh, she'd made this decision as years and years and years of putting the church first above family above their marriage uh, an almost obsession with the church and she could see the unhealthy um patterns within the local church as well under his leadership his marriage fell apart his church started to crumble and he says his faith was fading at this point and he fell into depression um, and anxiety and reflecting back on that period uh, he says this in the book I was stuck at an immature level of spiritual and emotional development the reality was that my discipleship and spirituality had not touched a number of deep internal wounds and sin patterns especially the ugly ones that emerge behind closed doors uh, during trials in our homes disagreements conflicts and setbacks my present way of living the Christian life was not transforming the deep places of my life and that led him to start exploring kicking and screaming in his words the vital connection between emotional and spiritual health he goes on making the link between emotional and spiritual maturity transformed my personal journey with Christ my marriage my parenting and ultimately the church that I led If you accept the invitation to embark on this path, it will do the same for you. And he makes the point that unless we take our emotional health seriously, we stay in this slightly bizarre position of being permanent infants in our faith, permanent children, never maturing or growing up, kind of like Peter Pan, but in a bad way. And one person in his church, reflecting on their own spiritual journey, said this, I was a Christian for 22 years, but instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. I kept doing the same things again and again. You may well be familiar with the image of an iceberg and the points that it makes. Essentially, it says that as with an iceberg, we only see about 10% of what's really there, ninety percent of it is below the surface in the same way, what we see of someone i e their external behaviors is generally only about ten percent of what's really going on with someone. Ninety percent of what is going on with someone is beneath the surface. so as we go to church, we go to work, we take our kids to school or soft players, we drink coffee, whatever we might do on an ordinary day generally. Only about 10% of who we are is on show for others to see, and that's kind of okay. We don't want to um, uh, over show what's, uh, what's going on in our lives, and um, that can be quite an intense thing for everyday life. You don't want to overshare. The problem comes for our discipleship, when we only give that 10% to God and we fail to open up the 90% beneath the surface as it were, our hearts, our emotions, our motives, our memories, our deeper lives so that God can bring genuine change. Peter Scazzaro says this, in our honest moments, most of us will admit that much like an iceberg, we are made of deep layers that exist well beneath our day-to-day awareness. As the illustration shows, only about 10% of an iceberg is visible The 10% represents the way that we conduct ourselves and the changes we make that others can see. We're nicer people, more respectful. Perhaps we volunteer for a good cause. We clean up our lives by addressing any issues that are obvious to the outside, uh, like uh, an alcohol or drug addiction. Perhaps we swear less often. Maybe we start to exhibit Christian behaviours like praying or going to church. But the roots of who we are continue unchanged and unmoved. So, what are the consequences of not paying attention to that iceberg, as it were? Well, the reality is that it erupts, it leaks out all over the place. Another image could be of a beach ball in a swimming pool, if you've ever. Um, messed around perhaps on holiday with a ball under the water. The further you push it down under the water, the greater the strength it bounces back. Let me give you an example which I think is quite funny. When I was at theological college, we used to play football on a Wednesday afternoon, and uh, it was a highlight of the week, to be honest. Uh, we loved it. And uh, as well as playing on a Wednesday just amongst ourselves, we would occasionally play matches against other theological colleges around the country. And I remember one particular afternoon we were playing a college called St. melitus College, which was based in London. I was at a college called Ridley Hall uh, in Cambridgeshire. And we met about halfway. And we um, were playing on this Astro pitch we met we shook hands we uh, stood around the semicircle uh, the circle sorry in the center of the pitch we prayed and then the whistle blew and the atmosphere changed completely there were all sorts of dodgy tackles going in um, swear words were flying around the air was very blue I even noticed in my so well, what I say even I noticed in myself um, that I was you know swearing at this other team and Um, putting in all sorts of uh, physicality, which wasn't really strictly in the rules. And um, I thought to myself, what is going on? Why is it that all these vicars in training are kind of behaving in the same way? Why is there such a contrast between when the whistle goes and when it didn't? And I guess the reason perhaps was that the football pitch was one of the only places that these church leaders and training could let out some of that pentanga. Maybe they felt they had to behave in a certain way the rest of the time. Now, the truth is I found that quite funny. But more broadly, when we don't deal with our emotions, perhaps the football pitch is a good place to deal with them, I don't know. But when we don't deal with them, they can come up like that beach ball in places a lot worse than a a football field. They come up in a cruel comment in our marriages or relationship with our partners. They come up in an angry outburst at our children or ignoring them altogether. They come up in gossiping with our colleagues. The list goes on. So how can we see change or perhaps I should say how can we begin to see change as we introduce this series. I want to highlight 10 symptoms of emotionally healthy spirituality and maybe we could recognize some of them in our own lives and start to bring them before God. The reason why we're doing this is not so that we go away feeling bad about ourselves, but so that we can open up ourselves in a deeper way to the immense love of God and allow his presence and healing to flow to the deepest parts of us. So, 10 symptoms of emotionally healthy spirituality. The first one, using God to run from God. Now this can be quite hard to spot at first because on the surface things can look to be well um, but it essentially boils down to creating a lot of God activity in order to avoid difficult areas of our lives. It could look like spending excessive amounts of time reading Christian books or too many nights a week serving in church in order to ignore an issue that's happening in our home. It could be demonstrating Christian behaviours so that people will think well of us in order to hide a hidden sin that we don't want to deal with. It might look like making pronouncements, God told me to do this, when in reality we want to do this and we don't want to bring our motivations before God. It could look like using scripture to justify the sinful parts of our family relationships, our cultural values, rather than evaluating them honestly under the lordship. Of Christ. So using God to run from God is one sign that things are not well. Uh, secondly, ignoring anger, sadness and fear. And this stems from a incorrect core belief that these emotions are bad in some way and it is somehow sinful to feel anger, sadness or fear. Perhaps because we've been told or we've made the link that They equate to a lack of faith or trust in God. If the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always or do not fear and yet we feel the opposite of those things, maybe we feel like we are disobeying God in some way. And so what we do in response is we clench our fists and try harder, in a sense pushing that beach ball down and down. behind this belief that anger sadness and fear are sinful is a uh, further idea really that feelings in general are um not to be trusted that what really matters is facts and we just have to align to facts and of course we do have to evaluate our feelings they're not the all and end all but they are an important part of how god has created us we are made in the image of a God who feels, who weeps, who mourns, who rejoices. And he has made us with feelings and emotions for a reason. A third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament, meant placed there so that we can express our sadness and grief before God that they have a vessel to move through. And then thirdly dying to the wrong things. When we die to the things that bring us joy in and life then things have become very distorted for God is the author of life and wants us to know fullness of joy in him. And this sort of behavior comes from the belief that when we're Christians Jesus asks us to be miserable for him. We mistakenly interpret jesus's command to take up our cross as to give up anything that is fun the more miserable you are and the more you suffer the more god loves you so this view goes so someone who is in this place might struggle to answer the question tell me about your hopes and dreams for your life or what you love doing what brings you life Jesus wants us to die to our sin, our judgmentalism, our selfishness. He wants us to come alive as we enjoy friendships, good beer and wine, music, art, sport, laughing, sunny walks on autumn days, bacon sandwiches, good coffee, the list goes on. Insert your favourite thing. St Ire- Irenaeus said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And so when we die to the wrong things, that's a sign that things are not well. Fourthly, uh, denying the impact of the past on the present. And Jill Parnham will be speaking more about this next week. But this essentially says that the way our parents related to each other and our family set up will have massively shaped how we do our own relationships and interact with people and when we pretend that's not the case in order to to work this through we are in trouble so we look forward to unpacking more of that next week. Fifthly dividing life into secular and sacred compartments and this is really about a lack of integration in life. For uh, an example from my life would be going to church on a Sunday, singing about God's love, perhaps leading a service or preaching, and the day before swearing at a taxi driver as I drive my family across London to a first birthday party. Uh, not that that's what happened yesterday or anything like that. Um, or it could look like spending a quiet time with God for 10 minutes each morning but then not having any sense of God's presence with you at work or with your family or friends in the evening. There's a clear distinction or wall between what God can and can't have. And when we live with that tension or that lack of integration, uh, then that is not a spiritually or emotionally healthy place to be. Number six, doing for God instead of being with God. Now this statement is self-explanatory, but you know it is staggering how many Christians struggle to simply sit still and to enjoy God's presence and his love for them, just to receive his delight over them, just for being who they are. Uh, This would look like avoiding being in church during uh, Holy Spirit ministry in order to open some doors or find a little job to avoid just being with God. It might look like sending an email about a church meeting first thing in the morning before work for 10 minutes, instead of spending some time actually with God in prayer and scripture. This is why so many church soup kitchens are full of volunteers, but church prayer meetings are poorly attended. Like a friend and father, the number one thing God wants for from us is us we are human beings before we are human doings and when we bury ourselves in productivity something is not right. Seventh ignoring or dealing poorly with conflict Jesus shows us that healthy Christians do not avoid conflict his life was full of it whether it was with the religious leaders the crowds the disciples or even his own family And out of a desire to bring true peace, Jesus disrupted the false peace that was around him. He refused to avoid conflict. In any group of people, there'll be difference, there'll be conflict. And it's vital that we learn to manage it and even harness it for good. Most of us did not grow up in families that demonstrated healthy ways to deal with conflict. So the reality is that in churches, this is extremely common and can cause untold harm. It looks like gossiping, saying things behind people's backs. It looks like passive aggressive behavior, manipulation, issues erupting in emails. An emotionally healthy spirituality commits to learning how to deal well with conflict. Number eight, covering over brokenness, weakness and failure. And this is basically where we deny that we are all broken and weak and have failed in different ways. It looks like showing only a Instagram version of ourselves to God or to others or even to ourselves. Uh, it, it means that we um, portray a view of us that is strong and together. And we deny the areas of our lives that have failed, where we feel vulnerable, where we know deep down that we are broken and we forget that every character that God used in the Bible was flawed in some way. And it was actually their weakness that brought them into God's strength. So when we cover over brokenness weakness and failure then something is awry number nine living without limits this looks like having no boundaries and not being able to stop work when you should within the church burning ourselves out visiting perhaps cooking caring for others serving on six teams spending every waking moment trying to do something noble but by the end of the week we are a shell of ourselves and we're bitter tired and grumpy and we have no time for our family or friends. What good is it to gain the whole world, Jesus said, but lose your soul? And part of this series, we'll be looking at the gift of boundaries and limits. Number 10, judging others. This has always been a problem within religion as Jesus knew. And much of the time when we judge others is actually a reflection of a disappointment we have with ourselves. We judge people for not working hard enough because we have an insecurity about being lazy ourselves. Maybe as a child, that's what we were told by a overbearing teacher or parent. Emotionally healthy spirituality looks like resting secure in God's love before we do anything and then paying more attention to our own faults than others. It is judgment free. So there are 10 symptoms of emotional ill health and maybe a few of those resonate and as I said they're not there to make us feel guilty so that we go away feeling bad. They're there so that we can begin to recognize what's going on within us and then open up the iceberg of our lives which we all have to God so he can bring his profound transformation and change as we receive his love. This week it's World Mental Health Week or World Mental Health Day and um, I want to just finish with recalling a story from the Bible about depression and it's a beautiful picture of the way that God meets us as we come to him as our whole selves, as we open up that part of our lives that we might call our emotional selves. It's a story from 1 Kings 19. It's a story of Elijah and Elijah in this point in his life is depressed and Jezebel, uh, who is the king's wife, wants to kill him. He's just had a great victory, in fact, over the prophets of Baal, if you remember the story of the bonfire. But because... His life is at threat, his perspective is skewed, and he has fallen into great depression. And so he runs, he flees to Mount Sinai, or Mount Horeb, as it's someone sometimes called. And he says to the Lord, I've had enough. He gets to the point of being suicidal even, take my life. He says, I'm no better than my ancestors. 1 Kings 19 verse 4. And as he comes to the Lord honestly, he opens up about how he really is. And what does God do? Does God tell him to just clench his fists and try to feel different? Does God tell him to have more faith? Does God tell him to pray harder or read more Bible or do more ministry, evangelism? I love what God does. He bakes him some hot bread and he lets him sleep god knows exactly what we need and responds in his gentle kindness and as the story goes on he sends an angel to tell elijah to meet him in a cave and in the cave the side of this mountain come these great dramatic um, natural phenomenon Uh, there's storms Um, and there's wind and rain and fire but the Lord meets Elijah not in any of those but in a whisper and he whispers his name and says why are you here and in a sense he's saying you don't need to be here and he leads him on and he puts people around him and he recommissions him to what he was called to This story is a beautiful picture of God's love for us, his gentleness, his kindness, and the fact that as we come to him as we are, he meets us as we are, but he doesn't leave us there. And he brings us forward to greater healing and wholeness. But that can only come when we are prepared to open up our deeper lives to him. Amen.